curse them. He calls in Balaam. And Balaam comes in, and he's this odd character in the Old Testament because he has a form of religion, but he doesn't really know God, but he hears the voice of God, and yet he gets to speak from God. And so it's, it's, it's a kind of a weird situation. But he's this pagan prophet, but he's all about, he, he's a for-profit prophet. He loves the money. If he can do something to gain money, he loves the wages of unrighteousness. So whatever I got to do to gain and line my pockets is what I'm doing. I'm there. And so chapter 22, verse 5 says, he's not an Israelite. He's a pagan from another nation. He appears to know God, according to verse 8 of chapter 22. And God actually even speaks through him. And I would say it's despite his practices, despite his nationality, despite his disregard for things that are holy. But he's also a man who practices sorcery, magic, and incantation. So some would read the account of Balaam's life and go, well, God, there, there's many ways to lead to God, because obviously Balaam could hear the voice of God. But just because he can hear the voice of God doesn't mean he can do something useful. Just because God speaks to you doesn't mean he's for you. God can speak through a donkey. We learned that last week. So just because he did incantations, I think that God speaks through Balaam despite his paganism, despite the fact that he's approaching him through many altars and many sacrifices. So I want to take you to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because in chapter 6, verse 3, Paul is writing to his young protege, his disciple, who's a young church leader, and he says to Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent wholesome words, so if someone does not consent or teach wholesome words, they don't consent even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine or the teaching which accords with true godliness, then he is proud. Now, in our day and age, proud means something different, doesn't it? Proud. But pride comes before the fall. Pride is a negative. God hates pride. It's self-sufficiency. It's I'm God and God's not. I get to do what I want. But he says about those that will not consent to the teachings of Jesus and contradict, he says, that person is proud. And though they boast great things, they know nothing. They don't know anything. Not anything useful. But they are obsessed with disputes, arguments over words, they come, and from their teaching comes envy and strife and reviling and evil suspicions about what the nation of Israel is. I haven't heard of Israel talking to Roman people. But there's strife and there's evil suspicions. They don't trust anybody. But here, Paul writes to Timothy, they love useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and they are destitute of truth. So he says they know nothing, and they are destitute of truth. So not only do they not know anything, but what they do know isn't true. He says, they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And I would say to you this, they suppose that an outward show of godliness is how that they can gain riches. Paul said to Timothy, don't mess around with these guys. 
lots of us. And the rest of you just never invited anybody. Because they all say that. I'm just joking. I'm joking. But they all say that because guess what? It's true. Yeah. God is purging the hypocrisy from us. And we will bring this up about it. But we have this dual nature. The spirit and the flesh. And that flesh likes to rear its ugly head. God says to do something, we ought to do it. And yet, we let our, whatever we see is what gets the, you know, up our hand. But my point in saying this is as we grow into the image of God, we should become less and less hypocritical and more and more transparent. Without wax, without hypocrisy, true to who we are. If we get called out on something as believers, we should get really good at going, yep, you're right. Conscience. 
disqualified for every good work. So what's, what would that look like in our lives? What's an example of the way hypocrisy fleshes itself out in the scriptures? Matthew chapter 6 is one example. I mean, just to make a point. Jesus teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, When you pray,
said to me, saying, If Balak were to give me his whole house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. But the Lord says that I must do it. And now, indeed, I'm going to my people. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm obeying your command to leave. But come now, because I will advise you what this people, the Israelites, will do to your people in the latter days. Let me tell you what's going to happen after these things. I'll depart, but what I'm saying is still going to
salvation is something that's supposed to be walked out as the Holy Spirit empowers us to become new people. And so as we take communion this morning, we remember the beginning of our salvation is that we're not enough and that Jesus is. And if you're trusting in yourself, I will tell you the same thing, that Jesus built the rich young ruler. sacrifice.